Welcome to Boost Power Podcast. Inspiration, insights, and ideas for your business and your journey. Hi, this is Betsy Wiersma. Welcome to Boost Power Podcast. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. That's a lot of power that you have. So what you got to do is listen to great things, experience great things, try great things, do things that light you up and turn you on and make your life work. And when we'll be listening to our guest today on the podcast, my longtime friend, someone I admire, I wish she would officially mentor me because my life would be better. Sherry Shink, welcome to Boost Power Podcast. Oh, Bessie, I am so excited to be here. Well, I... As you know, we go all the way back, right? Through your days in the law center, through all the things you've done as an advocate for children. But before we get to the today's story, I always like to start a little bit with the backstory because um, my philosophy and theory actually is that people look at successful people like you, Women's Hall of Fame in Colorado, right? All your awards and accolades. And they say, oh, it was so easy for Sherry Shink. It was just like a piece of cake like a piece of chocolate cake. And I want to tell the real story. Uh, And really, I know some of your uh, hardships and opportunities for growth along the way. But let's go back. So tell me a little bit about growing up as Sherry Shink. Did you always know you would be the superhero that you are today? (laughs) I could never have even imagined being some superhero. And I don't believe I am at this time. I do believe that I've had so many great people surrounding me that it has allowed me to do things that others may not be able to do. But I started out in a family growing up in the country, knowing that anything was possible and seeing it through my parents, seeing from them the gift of giving. I mean, they gave of themselves, of their time, of their resources to not only those that they knew and loved, relatives and and friends, but to people in the church and to people in the community. And and so I grew up knowing that giving is a part of our responsibility on the earth. I mean, and I looked for ways to do the same thing. And so when I was in the fourth grade, I had a teacher who asked me if I would mentor one of my fellow students. And I'm thinking, well, sure. And thought, wow, you know, this is such a special opportunity. And so then when I was in high school, you know, I taught kids how to dance. And then when I was in college, I tutored kids and and then, you know, went off to be a lawyer because I was inspired by the daycare center that I ran. I took time off between college and law school because I wasn't quite sure how to use the law for kids. And when I was an assistant director in a a daycare center, I saw little kids from three to five every single day for an entire year. And I grew to appreciate what possibility existed within each of them, that each of them had a gift to give to the world. If only they had what they needed at that very important developmental time so that they can actually spread their wings and show their light. And so it was a moment at, you know, during a circus that I had planned and put on at this daycare center that allowed me to look at these kids in a different way. And I had this epiphany. And I thought, if I'm really going to do something for kids, I need to have some greater power or influence. And what might give me that? And I thought law school. 
And so I went to law school, not really knowing about the field of children's law or pediatric law, as it's sometimes referred to. And I started, you know, I, I went to legal services. Um, I was, it was suggested that I not specialize initially. So I didn't, I represented poor adults. And then I got into this specialty and I felt I was on a journey of love and possibility for all the kids whose lives I might touch. And so I started out in Pittsburgh and, and uh, litigated on behalf of children there for about four years, was recruited to come to Colorado to do a special demonstration project. Um, I intended to go back home to Pennsylvania because that's where my family is. And I had this moment, again, another epiphany in the back of a courtroom uh, that shocked and appalled me. And so I said, I'm starting my own organization and it's going to be about kids. Wow. But, wow. Wow. Everybody's like that uh, 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 10 minutes that changed <laughs> the life of all kids forever. You know, I have to uh, insert how thankful I am for people like you, because as you know, uh, we adopted Sarah Lane when she was one day old. And actually, we didn't adopt her till she was 12 days old, which you would know this because in the court system, we had to be pre-qualified as parents. And I think this is all part of this conversation because we had to apply to get to adopt a baby, right? I remember I wrote a 36-page essay how I was going to change my life to be dedicated to be a mom for Sarah. And we had a very busy working family, mom and dad my husband and I, and we had to look at each other and say, what's it going to look like when we prioritize a child, right, into this current life that we have? And I had to say, okay, I'm going to give up six figures, international travel, you know, I'm going to do that because I want to be a work-at-home mom and be here for the child. But we had to actually apply legally and then be, they checked to see if we had a fire, uh, the, the thing that puts out the fire, extinguisher extinguisher they they <laughs> checked to see if we had a fire extinguisher and if we had had our vaccinations or something there was like two really random things they checked and they did a home visit just to see if we could be parents and then we qualified and then you know the birth mom was gracious enough to pick us so uh i really appreciate the law lo the law in the world of parenting and how much we had to go through with just to qualify to get our own sarah yeah. You know, that that reminds me in the olden days, if I might sort of throw us back, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, even, you know, 20 years ago, there have been debates and discussions about licensing parents because so many children suffer from abuse and neglect and other similar, you know, difficulties. Um, you know, we we have to have a license to fish. We have to have a license to hunt. We have to have a license to drive a car. But anybody can have a baby and parent, no matter how capable or incapable, uh, no matter how healthy or drug addicted, no matter any of those things that we all sort of see and face in our lifetimes. Uh, parenting is probably the most important job that anybody can do. And my hat's off to you, Betsy, and your husband, Doug, you know, that you would reach out and take in a child that you didn't give birth to and change your life in a way that allowed you to give all that Sarah needed. Well, we call it, we carried her in our heart, not our tummy was a like thing we put on her wall for adoption. And of course it's an open adoption. So we know the birth mom 
And she just was not in the circumstances at that time that she felt like she could really be a parent. She was out of work in downtown Chicago. And so we honor her, you know, all the time. And we're thankful that our daughter was just accidentally carried by a woman in Chicago that did the heavy lifting, in my opinion, because I never had one (laughs) come through the birth canal. So I'm all I'm all up for that. Well, let's go back. So you got to Colorado because you were recruited on a project that lasted forever. So tell everybody a little bit about coming to Colorado and starting the Children's Law Center, which is one of the things in your career that you have been recognized for uh, in Colorado and nationally. Well, I have to say that when I came to Colorado, I came thinking, so the project was designed for three years, but they only had the money to support the project for a year. So it would be my job to continue fundraising for it if I wanted to stay and, and complete it. So I saw Colorado as a one-year gig and I was going to be, it's going to be really cool to kind of live in the mountains or live near the mountains and, and, you know, have this different life and then go back home again. And um, I was sitting in the back of a courtroom um, listening to the story of a little two and a half year old child who had spent, you know, um, his earliest days with birth parents who couldn't care for him. And then about two years or a little bit, close to two and a half years with a foster family and thrived despite all of the difficulties that he faced. And um, I was assuming that they were going to start talking about adoption. As you suggest, you know, oh my gosh, it took 12 days. You were ready at one day, it took 12 days. But the point is that in the system, things take a long time. And so it was two over two years that he was in this home. And the idea should have been what about permanence? What about adoption? What about some other alternative? But let's talk about that. And instead, the judge made a decision on his own to remove that child from that family and place that child in a stranger foster family. So not to send the child home, but to, which would have been bad. I'm not suggesting that was a good option, but basically to put that child through the trauma. Kind of imagine the trauma. You have a two and a half year old child who has developmental difficulties already and is blind. And somebody takes them away from the smells, the touch, the feeling, the experience of two and a half years with people who loved him. And all of a sudden he's in a strange environment and he's, and he's there without any objection, any discussion, any debate, any litigation, any presentation of evidence. And I'm waiting for somebody to do or say something. Nothing happened. I walked out of that courtroom and I said, I am not going home. I am starting an organization that's about justice for children in Colorado. And I am going to do whatever it takes so that that kind of a situation doesn't happen again. Wow. So, okay, I got to know, and all the listeners are sitting on the edge of their seats because we're just about to go to break. But before we go to break, here we are, how many years later? 30 years, maybe later? 39. Okay, 39 years later, what happened to that boy? Everybody wants to know that. I was not allowed to know what happened to that boy. Oh, okay. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's all confidential. Of course. As a lawyer who's sitting in the back of a courtroom who has no role in the case, just as an observer, I had no right to know anything about what happened uh, following that decision. Okay. Well, we are we're here at Boost Power Podcast we're uh, stopped in our seats. I am. I'm a little bit breathless as well as speechless about, you know, out of something horrible came something great. 
your career at the Children's Law Center and all the kids you were able to help. But we're sending prayers to a now 42-year-old young man that's hopefully thriving. This is your host, Betsy Weersma. We'll be right back. You are listening to Boost Power Podcast with your host, Betsy Weersma. We are part of the Global Sisterhood Podcast Network, women who amplify their voices and are committed to inspiring all people with podcasts on purpose. Enjoy these true stories and proven business tips for your business and your life. Now, back to Boost. We're back on Boost Power Podcast, and we're talking with Sherry Schenk, and we just were discussing, really, you know, the line in the sand that got her to create the Children's Law Center uh, from a case that she observed and was not allowed to make a difference for. And that was the last that she saw probably in touch that she didn't at least have some kind of path of action. So Sherry, tell us a little bit, you know, I, I don't want to spend tons of time on the Children's Law Center because um, I think it's a what happened and you did amazing things there, but kind of tell everybody a little bit about the, that step on the street to cobbled streets today, what we're going to talk about. So uh, go back a little bit to um, the years in the Children's Law Center. Well, um, I think it's important to know that the, there are a lot, of assumption, a, a lot of assumptions in the community about what happens to children that they learn are children who've been abused or neglected. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a desperate need for us to take comfort in the fact that if they are removed from such a home, that there will be some place of safety and peace and opportunity. And although that's the intent um, and that happens many times, that's not always true because some children basically end up in foster care and are separated from siblings. Sometimes they move around, not only once or twice or three times, but I have talked to too many young people who have moved 15 or 20 or 32 times. And so when you imagine the trauma of those experiences, you have to then step back and believe that there's a reason why kids need lawyers in the system. And so as a lawyer, I wanted to make sure that my client got as everything he or she needed. Now, that it isn't as simple. As a young lawyer, I thought it was simpler than it was. I assumed that everybody would be on the same page about kids and what they need and then how to get it. But there are competing interests in that system. You've got the parents with their interests. You've got the Department of Social Services with their interests and needs. You've got independent you know, agencies involved. And everybody believes they're looking out for the best interests of the child. But that's not always true. And we're not always aligned. And it comes down to a system that has limited resources and limited opportunities, limited time to really do the kinds of things that parents would do for their children. So as a litigator, I had to fight. And I don't say that word loosely. It was a battle. It was a battle of experts. It was hundreds of hours of time. It was going to the Supreme Court in a situation that was common sense. So if you, if you really come to know intimately how hard it is to make the right things happen for children. You also know that the best efforts of a whole team of people may not accomplish that. And so when I left litigation and started looking at 
other ways to help these young people, I decided that I need to raise money. I need to raise the kind of money that's going to allow, you know, kids in foster care to have at least some of the opportunities that kids in healthy families have. The kinds of things parents don't even, or people in the community don't think about. I mean, imagine being a kid and being in foster care for 10 years and never celebrating your birthday. How about a, a child in Colorado never getting to the mountains, going on a camping trip, playing a musical instrument, being a part of a team? What about the, the opportunity to pick out a really cool t-shirt, you know, in one of those really cool shops, you know, where, you know, people are wearing these really kind of classic and cool t-shirts, but you have never been able to, to pick one out or maybe a, a really cool pair of sneakers. I'm not talking about a wardrobe here. I'm talking about one article of clothing, you know? So that's what, that's what Cobble Streets wants to do. It wants to look at, at these young people, kids in foster care and others, you know, the young people that have maybe, you know, are in the process of emancipating from foster care and figure out what might matter to them. What thing can we do that would matter? And sometimes it's, it's a thing, like I just suggested. Sometimes it's an opportunity to have relationships with other adults, be that like with music lessons or with learning a skill or things like that. And, and sometimes it's basically just having somebody say you matter. You matter. And because you matter, I want to provide something special for you. And in that special thing or experience, I want you to come to know who you are and what's special about you as a young person and how you might take those deep feelings and passions that you have and do something with them and, and start your journey toward adulthood, having a better sense and a better feeling about who you are in the world. Well, I think you just answered the what is your passion and purpose <laughs> part of this podcast, Jerry, as everyone who's listening can hear and I can see because we're doing this um, on video, you know, Sherry, it brings her to tears to think about just the things that perhaps children in foster circumstances don't get. Now, we're just going to say many probably do get and that's awesome. And we as adoptive parents have done everything we can to give Sarah everything we can. But I think what's so cool about Cobbled Streets, which is the charity partner for the Camp Experience Network, as we all come together to say, what's one thing? You know, what's one act, one act of kindness at a time that can just inspire and uplift and educate these kids so that they do walk into their very best self and their very best life. And you and I were just discussing how cool would it be to get funky eyeglasses, right? And that's just like your t-shirt example. Like anybody can give you a t-shirt that was somebody else's t-shirt that's clean, but it's not like a cool shirt or cool sneakers or cool glasses that you picked out. Uh, and so we are going to partner with you to do those things. Um, so as a woman in business and as a fundraiser, what would you tell people that are listening? Because this show is all about, you know, your path. Um, and it's funny that your charity is called Cobbled Streets, which is literally a path. Um, but what would you tell women listening that you learned over all these years of, again, innovating, starting your own organization, seeing a need and taking action? What would you tell others is your advice, Sherry? I think that when you're passionate about something, you draw people to you and they're, and, and they're ready, willing, and able to help. The fact that I have Betsy, 
saying to me that I want to partner with you in cobbled streets and make things happen for hundreds, maybe thousands of kids and not tomorrow, not next week. Don't worry, Betsy, I'm not expecting that much, but, um, but you know, over time, over the next five years, wouldn't it be really cool what's possible? So I would say that take the strength within you, take the possibility that exists around you and the people who um, live and work around you and, and give them an opportunity to understand your passion and move forward with those that care about you. And you would be surprised at how many people, you know, are there at just the right moments. I mean, when I walked out of that courtroom and said, I'm starting my own organization and it's about justice for kids, I had no clue what that meant. I didn't know what it meant to start a nonprofit organization. And, and little did I know that 39 years later, I would have spent a big part of my life begging for money. But it's been such a glorious journey that just happened serendipitously because of the people I met. And so I think that you need to honor who you are as an individual and take whatever skills or talents or passions you have and make what you want. We each have one life to live, just one. We don't get to do this again. This is your chance, this is your start. You know, do whatever, you know, moves you and, and you will have all that you need. Well, and I, the other thing I like about your fundraising though, and you know, you said begging for money, but I think it's different with you. I think what you do, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my observation from knowing you for 15 years, donating to you, donating to the law center, donating to cobbled streets and giving you of my own self is it's, it's a match right? You say, I have gathered this opportunity to serve. And it looks like this, or it looks like that. And it's flexible to meet the needs of the giver. So someone can say, Sherry, I'm super interested in foster kids having uh, an experience on a college campus. And you can go, great, you can help us make this kind of program. So you're not just, you know, you define yourself as begging for money. I see it more. You're giving people the opportunity to be incredibly impactful in the world, which is a gift. They get the gift of giving, but you're doing the hard work to put the opportunities together and to find the organizations to partner with and to find the youth and to get the best creative minds around to say, how do we all help each other help the world? So I want to call you out, not only for a beggar, because, you know, I know that it feels hard because I fundraise too. And it's sometimes, but I think as a matchmaker, you are incredibly gifted in listening to your donors and helping them express themselves and helping them with their family foundations, their personal wealth, their time, their talent, their treasures, and their experiences and matching that where it makes the most difference. So uh, I think you're a, a interesting kind of beggar. I think you're a matchmaker, you're more of a matchmaker. Oh, Bessie, if I could just if I could just react to that, because first of all, I want to thank you because you you make it so much more than I did using those terms. And I, I do it sometimes because, you know, it, 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 it does get difficult, but it, it identifies what I believe I've had with donors. And that's a relationship. And I want to take that back to uh, what the kids that we're serving also need. So let me just say it very quickly in terms of donors. When somebody gives of their resources to allow me to do what I am passionate about because they share a, a commitment to, to the kids I serve, they are a friend. They are a part of my family. 
They are somebody that I want to remember and do whatever I can to ensure that they feel valued and that they matter to me. So it's not just, you know, once a year or once a quarter, you know, calling them up and say, you know, can you help me out here? It's an ongoing relationship. It's, it's trying to learn about their families and have them share, you know, my own. And then on the issue of the young people we serve, we talked, you know, about the, you know, the experiences for um, foster youth or the things that we might provide. And, and what we all know is that what kids need most are critical and foundational relationships. And in a birth family, nobody thinks about it because they're obvious. It's mom and dad. And it's grandma and grandpa and it's my cousins and my next door neighbors and the people in the church and the people here and the people there. That gets very complicated and very distorted in foster care. If a child moves in foster care three times, five times, or God forbid, 10 times, where are those relationships that are going to be there for them when they're 18? So when they emancipate from the system, do they have a family? Do they have somebody that's going to be there that they can count on? Do they have relationships that are long lasting? Not likely because the kids who have families aren't, are living with them or are living independent of them. Like your daughter, Sarah, who's living independent of you, but in a, you know, for Christmas, she's going to call you and wish you a Merry Christmas, even if she can't actually, you know, be with you. And you're going to talk to her if there's a crisis and you're going to be engaged and you're going to be a family until she dies or you dies, whoever. But for, for these young people who emancipate from the system, we never think beyond the 18 or 21. We don't take it to heart. The fact that if they didn't develop a relationship during those years in foster care, it's pretty hard at 18. It's not impossible, but it's pretty hard at 18 to, to, really begin for the first time to understand the give and take, the reciprocal relationships that exist between uh, people. And so that too is something that we want to try to address in this process. Well, we've been talking to Sherry Shank, her uh, brand new, spanking new charity, and now you're hearing us in early 2021. So uh, as this is an evergreen podcast, this charity will be growing. It's called Cobbled Streets. It's about all kinds of things, education, inspiration, and experiences, services, unique opportunities for foster care kids in the system, outside the system, emancipated from the system, living on the streets, all kinds of things that Sherry is dedicated to doing on earth. Uh, Sherry, if people are listening and they want to get a hold of you, could you give them like an email address or something that they could find you? Sure. Sherry, S-H-A-R-I dot Shink, S-H-I-N-K 33 at gmail.com. Perfect. So they can find you there. Also on the campexperience.com website under charity partners, you'll find all kinds of information about cobbled streets. Well, the last thing we do is draw a surprise card from the card deck. So you don't know about this. If we were together, I would let you shuffle the cards, but we're not. So I'm shuffling the cards and you're going to see it before me. You got uh, this beautiful angel that says, go loved, fed, led. So it's an angel. And her question for you is what support do you need? 
Sherry, what support do you need as you embark in cobbled streets? I want every woman in Colorado, but I'll take men as well. <laughs> um, every woman in Colorado to just think about what they might be able to do for some young person in this state, whether it's giving of their time, giving of their resources, giving of their ideas for us, just some one thing. One thing, one act of kindness. We say act out with us, act out with us. Just like a bad kid, we're gonna act out, but we're gonna act out in kindness. Well, you've been listening to Sherry Shink. She is the amazing um, catalyst behind helping children, period. The catalyst behind helping children. It has manifested many ways in her legal career, in her founding of the Children's Law Center here in Colorado, in her recognition inducted to the Women's Hall of Fame, in so many awards and accolades. But the, the real reward, not award, but reward, is the work, the real on-the-ground work that she does for these kids and the opportunity for all of us to partner with her to do these acts of kindness and to act up, to act up with our Sherry. Thank you for listening to Boost Power Podcast. As you can hear, our mission on this earth is just to find these compelling real life stories of real people that are in the world doing what they're doing. They're expressing their passion, their purpose. They're getting up in the morning and they're saying, why not? And why not me? How can I do this in the world? And maybe that story today, that story of Sherry is a story that's going to help you on your path or whatever it is, your passion, your purpose. Please share this podcast with other people looking for our uplifting energy and our fun and these great interviews with amazing people. And please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. This is your host, Betsy Weersma. Thank you for listening to Boost Power Podcast and plugging into stories from the journey of business and life. Our music today is by singer-songwriter Megan Burt. We are recorded at Cinder Sound Studios, and we're part of the Global Sisterhood Podcast Network, women who amplify their voices and are committed to inspiring all people with podcasts on purpose. Learn more at globalsisterhoodpodcastnetwork.com.